Hi, this is Pete Russos, and I want to welcome you to the Journal of Uproarious Growth podcast. There are no gray areas when it comes to equal rights. Either believe that all lives matter equally or you don't. You either believe that nobody should be victimized by the abuse of force or you don't. You either believe that all children deserve a good quality education or you don't. You either believe that all people deserve access to good quality health care or you don't. You either believe that nobody in this country should go hungry or you don't. You either believe that all people should have safe and secure housing or you don't. You either believe that sexism, racism, homophobia, and religious discrimination are always wrong or you don't. These are questions that we all have a responsibility to answer yes or no to. It's hard to imagine, though, that a majority of people in our country don't think that all lives matter or that nobody should be the victim of an abuse of force or that all children don't deserve a good education. The problem is not that most people answer these questions by saying no. The problem rather has been the lack of a collective willingness, the lack of a sufficient plurality of commitment to make the significant financial and emotional investments that will be necessary to end the economic disparities that are at the heart of the inequities that are dividing our country and that are a primary factor in the killing of our communities and people of color. We may be talking the talk, but we have never been collectively willing to walk the walk and follow through in a sustained way to end discrimination and truly live by the ideal that all people are created equal. David Snarch is a psychologist whose concepts have had a huge influence on me and my work, and even more importantly, in how I want to be relationally as a human being. One of his concepts that I think is very apropos to this moment is what he calls two-choice dilemmas. I have talked about two-choice dilemmas before in my book and in previous podcasts, but let me do a quick review. Two-choice dilemmas are a very regular part of everyday life for all of us. It is the experience of being faced with a situation, and in response to the situation, there are two choices available to us for how can we respond and for what the ramifications of our response are. The dilemma is that we want both choices but only get one, or we want different choices than the two that are available for us to choose between. A common example of this in life has to do with the expression of anger. When we get really angry, we have choices to make about how we express our anger and take responsibility for the way we express it. There may be a part of us that wants to respond forcefully and violently, and that is a choice available to us, but we usually don't get to choose whether or not there will be a consequence to our doing so and what that consequence will be. We don't, for example, get to both choose to say cruel and disrespectful things to our family members and also get to choose whether or not our doing so 
diminishes their respect for us. So how does the concept of two-choice dilemmas apply to what is happening in our society at this moment in time? I want to be very clear that I don't in any way think that law enforcement is bad or that I think that all or most of the people working in law enforcement are bad. A society cannot be healthy without law enforcement. And I think that most people in law enforcement believe in and live up to their sworn oath to protect and serve. As in all organizations, though, there are bound to be people who are willing to choose to behave in a destructively entitled way. It's the responsibility of the organization to put policies and organizational structures in place to prevent people from being victimized by the enactment of destructive entitlement and to have appropriate consequences in place when those policies are violated. One of the things that has perpetuated and supported the abuse of force by law enforcement is the level of impunity that law enforcement agencies and officers have been granted that shields law enforcement personnel from prosecution for the abuse of force. Impunity has been institutionally sought and sanctioned by police unions and institutionally granted by government on the local, state, and federal levels. What this means in the context of two-choice dilemmas is that bad law enforcement officers don't have as many of the two-choice dilemmas that civilians have when it comes to the consequences of choosing to behave in a manner that is an abuse of force and or that violates the rights and boundaries of others. When I think about the issue of the abuse of force by law enforcement, and when I look at the video of the murder of George Floyd and the look on the face of Officer Chauvin as he knelt on Mr. Floyd's neck, Officer Chauvin does not look like a man who was worried about the consequences of his actions. There is a long and tragic history of bad law enforcement personnel abusing their authority and abusing force and literally getting away with murder. Our cultural values around the use of force by police need to change. And part of the change has to involve the enactment of real and serious consequences for the abuse of force by those working in law enforcement. How can it be that someone in law enforcement has been more likely to lose their job and face criminal charges when engaging in corruption for the taking of money that is not theirs to take than for the taking of a life through the abuse of force. Malfeasance of any form should not be tolerated. But unless the laws granting qualified immunity to police officers are changed, and unless the restrictions that limit the authority and ability to fire police officers for misconduct are changed, these abuses of force will continue. Another truism about two-choice dilemmas is that very often, if not almost always, there are multiple two-choice dilemmas occurring simultaneously. If the choice dilemmas are about something happening in a relational system, all of the people involved in that system likely have choice dilemmas that they each have to navigate. So within all relational systems, whether we're talking about a couple, a family, an organization, a community, a town, or a city, all the way up to the relational system that is our nation and our planet, 
two choice dilemmas can create a very complicated interlocking web that often involves tension between the conflicting desires of the entities involved and our own internal tensions about whether or not we, as a person, or we as a global entity, and every level of we in between, respond from a position of power, which as I talked about in my podcast from June 5th is about compassion, collaboration, love, respect, empathy, or if we respond from a position of force, which is about trying to control, trying to coerce, trying to manipulate, or trying to dominate. I'm talking about two-choice dilemmas now because we have very profound ones to consider and resolve if we as a nation are to have any choice at all of making real progress and making real changes to the beliefs, structures, systems, and institutions that support and perpetuate inequality. I heard a statistic the other day that I was stunned and embarrassed by, that the average net worth of African-American households is 10 times less than that of white American households. I knew the disparity was significant, but I did not know how bad it is. The question that I have as it relates to the choice dilemma of racism is this. If we continue to choose to allow that kind of gross economic disparity and inequity to continue, what do we think will happen? Nobody in this country, particularly those of us in the white middle class or white privileged class, should in any way be surprised by the depth and intensity of the outrage felt and expressed by people having to live with so much less. White women know what it feels like to be paid less than a white man doing the same job. That kind of sexism-based disparity is reprehensible. But as bad as that is, and there is no excuse for it, it pales in comparison to the income and opportunity inequities that our communities of color have been living with for centuries now. It's not enough to say that all lives matter. It's not enough to say that racism and poverty are wrong. It's not enough to say that all children deserve a good education. If we, and by we I mean the upper middle and the very privileged classes, if we are not willing to make a long-term multi-generational investment with our tax dollars and require that our elected officials use our money efficiently and effectively to wisely create the infrastructure, educational, housing, healthcare, food and job and business resources that are needed to end the scourge of poverty and the racism that perpetuates it, if we don't make these commitments, our communities of color will continue to suffer. Another way of describing our choice dilemma of racism is that it will only continue if we choose to let it continue. The choice dilemma of racism is about sacrifice. Are we willing to share more of what we have? Are we willing to pay more in taxes? Are we willing to commit to the long-term work? Are we finally willing to take responsibility for our history and the grievous sin of slavery and its ongoing aftermath of poverty and inequality? We have to be willing to redistribute wealth if we want to end inequality and we need to elect a government that can enact the structural changes necessary to accomplish that through tax reform, 
budget area reprioritization, social programs, and a whole lot more. This is what it will take. Stopping the abuse of force by law enforcement, the likes of which resulted in the heinous and cruel murder of George Floyd, is vitally important. That has to happen. But if that is all that happens, this moment will have been largely lost and the lives of George Floyd and all of the others who have been murdered as part of a history of oppression and cruelty that goes back over 400 years, all of those lives will have been further marginalized. I come to these conclusions not because I have any expertise in economics or politics, and I am certainly not suggesting that the solutions are easy. Solving these problems will require a level of sustained love and commitment to the greater good and to changing entitlement structures on a scale unseen before in human history. It will be incredibly hard to achieve. But what is the alternative? The impact of not truly trying to achieve change will not just be more of the same. It will be a continued worsening of suffering with increased societal tension. Things will get worse, and the result of that worsening will be more violence, suffering, and chaos. My expertise is in interpersonal relational systems. What I see time and time again is that within a relational entity, if sacrifice is not being shared fairly, relationships break down and can't be healthier until that inequity is addressed and resolved. I see this in my work with couples and families. But these same systemic realities apply to all relational systems that are supposed to be, or where there is an expectation of, egalitarianism. That's the core defined value of our Constitution. That is the talk of our Constitution. But we have never walked that walk and followed through as a nation. That is our two-choice dilemma, not only in this moment, but as it has been for a long, long time. If we want to make America truly great, we have to enact true equality and justice for all. And to do that, we now have to make different choices than the ones that we have collectively been making and or allowing for all too very long now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. This is Pete Russo. Be well, everyone. Bye.